And I knew when I started the business that I was on the beginning of something really, really cool. And I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to be a part of a movement, a part of a community. That's my guest today on the Mic Drop Moment. She used to be an early childhood educator and faculty member at Sheridan College. And always comfortable following the rules she had set for herself, she wasn't one to kind of break out of things. That's until a friend invited her to a pole fitness class, something she'd never considered before. But for the first time in a long time, she felt confident, empowered, and comfortable in her own skin. And a fire was lit. In 2008, Jane Wilson opened Pole Fit Nation, which became way more than just a fitness center. It became a place for both her and her students. And what she realized is it was never really about the pole or even about fitness. It was always about self-esteem and embracing not only who you wanted to be, but who you are right now. Jane Wilson is the founder of the Up to No Good Club, which you can check out at theuptonogoodclub.com. You can also find her on Instagram at the Jane Wilson, and she has a podcast called Reclaim Your Spark, which is really fun and empowering to listen to as well. In this episode, we talk about so many things, about that change that happens when you stop seeing yourself as small and weak and start to find the confidence to speak up. We talk about her move from pole fitness entrepreneur to a public speaker and how she went out there to kind of speak and share her experiences. We talk about the power of putting yourself higher on the list and what she learned by working with over 10,000 people in 10 years about the art of reinvention. Here's my conversation with Jane Wilson. So you have a story to tell, and you wonder how to own the stage and give that killer speech that will captivate the masses. You don't just want to speak to them. You want to transform your audience. Welcome to the Mic Drop Moment. Bold conversations about public speaking, storytelling, and business that give you real-world valuable takeaways so you can craft a speech, a story, a business, and a life that the world can't stop talking about. It's time to find your mic drop moment. Here is your host, Mike Ganino. Jane Wilson, welcome to the show. You started your career as a teacher, right? I was a former early childhood educator. That's right. Yes. So I so worked with, with little the, like, ones. Like first grade or something? I, my, I specialize in two and three-year-olds. And okay. I was a children's performer prior to that. So I was a magician's assistant and a clown and yeah. I mean, you have a, you have like a, a life as a performer in a way. I would say life. so. Yeah. So um, with the studio, it brought me into the burlesque world where I just had so much fun wearing sequins and sparkles and Shirovskis. So. And so one of the things I love from your website is you talk about you are as powerful as you think you are. Go ahead and Absolutely. rock your own world. Did you always feel that way? Absolutely not. No, not at all. No, that's pretty much been the journey for me was I, I kind of see my life in two ways. I have the pre-poll and after-poll uh, before. <laughs> no, don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> so like before before the pole dancing life, I didn't I saw myself as small and and weak and not capable, only capable of so much. I didn't learn how fully capable I could have, I could be until I came into the pole dancing world. And that's when I really started to see what I was capable of doing. 
And were you still were you still working with children when you first started or had you said I'm ready to do something new? I had taken a break. So I was on a leave of absence uh, from from my, my career and I was home with the boys and I was bored and wasn't feeling very good about myself, feeling really uncomfortable. So my friend suggested I take a pole dancing lesson and I was deeply offended, like so offended. And then I fell in love. (laughs) Why were you offended? Well, I had these. So at that time, so it was 2007. So pole wasn't as mainstream as it is now. So it was very underground. And the only pole dancing I had ever seen was in strip clubs. And I had this misconception about about that. And I also felt that, um, you know, I held myself at the standard that I was too good for that. And that I would be judged. And what's my friends gonna think? And what's my parents gonna think? And then my friend was like, "Just it's just an hour, <laughs> just an hour of your life." And so at the time, you're worried, like I'm gonna come back with the heels, the glitter, and I'm gonna be like, "This is my new lifestyle." Well, and also like, what's my neighbors gonna think of me when I when I get out of my car? Like it was just it was interesting brain exercise of of how we view ourselves. And my friend was like, I'm just asking an hour of your life. I'm going to pay for your class. Let's just go have some fun. <laughs> we could stop at the Starbucks so you could change on the way home if you're worried. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So you went to the first class. You had your reservations, but you went anyway. And what Absolutely. happened? It, it blew my mind how beautiful the movement was, the flow of it. And I wasn't very strong. So when they asked me to hold myself up on the pole, I was like, there's no way I can do that. And the instructor was she was my age with children gorgeous and beautiful and could do these crazy things and i was was watching her thinking if you can do this why can't i i can do this too and when i was able to hold myself up on the pole that's when i was like oh i bet you i bet you i can do this and so then it just all began class after class after class so you went to the first class and then you went back the next week? The next week. Actually, the next day I called up and was like, when's the next class? <laughs> and so, and so, you, so you started doing that. And then what came first? Did you, did you start Pole Fit Nation, which was, a, which was a, the group you owned? Mm-hmm. Did you start that or did you start competing? What, what was next? I just wanted to be a student because at the time, like pole dance competitions were not in Canada. They were like in Australia and the United States. And it was so, so foreign to me. So I was like, I'm just going to play and be a student. And I kept going back to the studio class after class. And they couldn't get me off the pole. And my husband, after several, several months, was, say- was saying to me, you love this so much. You can't get enough of this. You have all the signs and symptoms as an entrepreneur. Let's go open up our own studio and let's go have some fun. So that's, so then that's how Pole Fit Nation got, was started. And did I, you, did you, was it, did you just know what to do or how, how was that process of starting something like that? Well, you learn as you go, especially in, in that kind of business, because there is no rule book. Like we were all the pole, pole dancing studio owners of that time were figuring it out as they were going along. The curriculum wasn't even created. The moves were we were creating as we were going along. So we were building an industry as we were going forth. And what what for you was exciting about that? Because, you know, I think a lot of people would look at me like, okay, there's this person that was a teacher and, you know, I don't know. 
not to, I love my teachers and I'm happy they're out there, but mm -hmm. I don't think people would be like, these are the entrepreneurial spirit folks. Where did that come from for you? Was that, was that something you had from an early age or was it, where did that occur? I, I never saw myself as an entrepreneur and I never saw myself as a business owner. Now, looking back, I had the enthusiasm, the need to share ideas with people, the wanting to be of service to people as well. So I had the signs and symptoms of it, but I was more afraid of becoming an entrepreneur. And I knew when I started the business that I was on the beginning of something really, really cool. And I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to be a part of a movement, a part of a community. Why do you think that was? I... I needed something as well at the time because I was home with the boys and I needed something to challenge me and I wanted to be around people. And also I knew I was changing and I knew that I had held myself back for so long that I can see other people my age doing the same thing. So I just want, I wanted to share the journey and encourage them to go out there and try something different. Because prior to that, it was work, come home, sit on the couch, go to bed, rinse, repeat. And now I had this energy and drive and excitement that I wanted more, uh, more people to share. And so you started, so you started Pole Fit Nation. Mm -hmm. You're figuring out, you're going, you're, you're bringing all this energy to it. What do you think it is when people, people like you who go to the first class, maybe reluctantly thinking, oh my gosh, what am I signing up for? This is not for me but they show up anyway. Mm -hmm. What is the moment where they change? What's the moment where they do find that confidence or that that uh, ability to kind of just throw caution to the wind and grab the pole? <laughs> well, I can always spot when somebody's unsure, apprehensive, nervous, anxious, because I was that I was like that, I can always spot it a mile away. So I would all change how I would teach according to the human beings in the room. So if I had people who were more nervous and and unsure, then I would design that class to encourage to help them along to tell them, hey, I was nervous too. So I would go based on their energy. And usually it's when they have that moment of a tiny little win. So it could just be the moment their feet come off the ground for a split second. And they're like, oh, this is challenging what I had thought. Or for some, it was just if they just kind of move their hip in a certain way and their eyebrow would lift, like they would never imagine themselves moving that way. And, oh, that felt really good. That's when I knew that we were on to something. It sounds like there's a lot of a lot of the skills you had as a teacher that you were applying as well mm -hmm. to to running the the studio. Well, I always said, thank heavens I was an early childhood educator because as an ECE, you're learning about um, psychology, de de um, developing a learning environment, uh, developing trust and encouragement. It's all those building blocks. So I, I remember standing in the studio thinking, okay, everything I learned as an ECE, I'm just going to do it in this place full of poles. <laughs> I think that's an, that's something we can all aspire to. <laughs> I, actually, I actually went, there was a time when uh, Crunch Fitness in yes. the United States where I was in Chicago and a friend of mine, we would go to the gym uh, after work. We worked together. We'd walk over to Crunch Fitness and Crunch Fitness has that reputation for being a little like irreverent or at least they did at the time. They were mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, they had like sexy yoga and yoga for bros and that kind of thing. But they had a pole fitness class mm -hmm. and my mm -hmm. friend convinced me to go. Neither one of us had ever done it, but we're like, okay, well, let's just go. And 
I remember feeling exactly like you said, really awkward. Yes. And then I got in there and there was a moment where I thought, oh, I think I'm Beyonce. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Do you find that 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 it's that little bit of somebody feeling like, wait a second, I got another side of me here. Is that what keeps them coming back? For sure. For sure. Because we are conditioned to be a certain way, especially for women. We're conditioned to be a specific way. And then when we do something that's out of the norm, that's out of our comfort level, and it feels good, it's like, oh, I want a little bit more of that. I want more of that in my life. And you think that that's just like the truth, part of your truth underneath that's not being explored? Is that where that's coming from? I would believe so. Yes. And, and what was that for you when you said if you were if you were uncaging the Jane that needed to come out that connected so much to it, who was that? I would say prior to that, I was very closed off, opinionated and not like not open minded whatsoever. And then I slowly became this, you know, hair tossing, heel banging uh you know, crawl across the floor and do somersaults, like just more free in my life. And you, was that always part of you and it was just hidden or it was something new you developed? I would say prior in my teenage, in my teen years, it was there in my teen years when I'm looking back. I mean, I was, I was a magician's assistant and a clown. So there's always a playfulness about me when I was in my teens. I believe she's always was there. It's just the adult responsibilities. Those layers of responsibility started to push her down. And silence and her. Mm -hmm. All of those rules you were talking about of like, what is a good girl supposed to do? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so you then, you know, you were successful with Pulpit Nation. You've gone on to perform. And I, and I want to ask some questions about that later. But mm -hmm. then you decided, I'm going to go be a public speaker. Mm -hmm. Where did that come from? Well, in my early childhood education years, so that was, God, that was over like 10, 12 years of being an ECE. I would speak at conferences and I would, and I would speak at, I worked at the college as well. So I was speaking at courses and I felt this need to continue to share my experiences. So that, so I started to look for more opportunities to talk to more people about feeling more confident, strong and sexy in your life. So I recognized that I need, was looking for more stages and more people to share. And is that where is that where the idea for the Up To No Good Club came from? Well, the Up To No Good Club started in my friend's home, my friend Layla DeVay. And we would come, we would giggle and say, my goodness, we're up to no good. And when she had brain, she came down with brain cancer and she had said to me, I'm afraid that I'm going to be forgotten. I'm afraid that I'm just gonna float away. and." Be, be left to the side. And so we decided, my friends and I have decided that we would create the special club, the secret club, and go to her house once a week. And we would paint her nails, we would do her hair, we would watch dirty movies and all the chick flicks and pole dancing and anything that was not, nor not normal, but out of the norm that people would do. And we would just be breaking rules. And she loved it. So the optional good club came from that. And then after she passed away, I recognized that more people need to open themselves up to be optional good in their lives because there's a place playfulness that comes from it. And what is the so so tell us about the plan where 
we hear up to no good and we think troublemaker, but that's not what this is about. No, no. It's breaking rules in your life to feel more confident, to feel more strong, to see what you're capable of, and to just have more fun. So a lot of us are, when we say we need to be good in our lives, we put ourselves into these roles and these boxes. And I'm just saying, hey, let's go have some fun. Let's go be up to no good. Create a little bit of trouble in our lives so that we are having more fun. And what are some of the um, what are some of the rules in the up to no good club? Well, one of the rules is to look for more opportunities for self-care. So I know that. So what that is, is putting yourself higher up on the list instead of taking care of everybody else. I have to make sure that everybody else is taken care of. And then and then I'll take care of myself. It's putting myself higher up on the list and finding more opportunities for self-care. Just taking that moment to sit down and have a cup of tea or taking that moment to do your nails because you want to do them. Anything that feels good. Another version of finding more up to no good in your life is I have I have the group take, making a list of any activity that comes across their way that they go, oh, that'll be cool. So to write that down and then to follow through and show up and go for it. So one of them was she wanted to take rock climbing, but was afraid to take rock climbing. So it was encouraging her to go out there and go just take a rock climbing class. Just It's just one hour. Go take a rock climbing class. And for you, what was that? Was there a, a specific moment where you realized that, that you thought, I need to put myself higher on the list? Because actually, I love... I love me some Jane Wilson Instagram because <laughs> you always have the most lovely little like tea ceremony things going on. I love it. So you walk your talk, but did did you always walk your talk here or when wow. did you realize I need a rule in my life that's to put myself higher than others? So I used to binge food, eat on the run. I would speed in my car so badly, very badly. And I would always be constantly go, 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 go. And unfortunately, I had an incident where I had my husband always called me Leadfoot Louise, and I got caught by the police going 50 kilometers an hour. So I'm Canadian. So <laughs> <laughs> I you don't... just showed your Canadian citizenship to, to all the folks in the US listening. <laughs> so, and unfortunately, that's pretty big in Canada to go 50 kilometers over the speed limit. So I unfortunately um, had my car impounded and actually it wasn't my car, it was my husband's car. That's how I learned that I wasn't taking care of myself. And that's the moment I started to put these opportunities for self-care into play in order to calm myself down so that I can be more helpful to others. And I think there's probably a lot of people who are listening who are running a business, they're entrepreneurs, they are starting to to get interested in doing more speaking or are speaking mm -hmm. or, or heading out there and doing that. And it's very easy when you're in that mode to feel like, great, sounds nice. I can I can slow down 50 kilometers, which by the way, for my US friends is about 31 miles. Is that what it is? Yeah, wow. 31 miles over the speed limit you were going. So uh, I'm glad that you got that lesson that way because that's the safest way to get that lesson. Oh, for but sure. People are people people hear this and it feels nice, right? Like I, I'll tell you this. You and I were talking at the top of the show. I really wanted to launch my podcast on a certain date. And so, which is the day that we're recording, by the way. Mm -hmm. And I stayed up all night to get everything ready. It wasn't ready, but I was committed to doing it anyway. 
And that wasn't self-care. I wasn't in self-care mode there. I was going 50 kilometers over the speed limit. So what do you say to people like me who hear you, who feel it, who post beautiful things on Instagram and say self-care is not a spa day like I did, <laughs> and then also stay up till one in the morning editing podcasts? Well, so here's the thing is that totally understandable that you are in launch mode. So you are go, 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 go. And I understand that. But then you also want to schedule time to sit back and rest, to take the foot off the gas. So you're going to put your foot on the gas for a little bit. Don't go over the limit. But then you're going to take your foot off the gas to give yourself a rest because it is it is a marathon. It's not a race. So you got to put those moments in where you can take a break. Got it. Got it. And you're writing a book about the up to no good club. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the book. So I, for two years, I noticed one day in the studio that I have had 10 years of working with over 10,000 people and there's stories and there's, they've had these moments of reinvention. And I've been, I've been witness to that. I've been able to see it all happen. And what was happening in the pole dancing studio can really help more people outside of the studio. So I started collecting stories and I started interviewing people about their reinvention and how they continued it outside in their lives, what they've done to continue feeling strong, sexy, and confident. So I compiled all of these stories and I noticed common threads and I put, started putting together this book called The Up To No Good Club, Designing a Life with Strength and Swagger. And what are some of those common threads? The common threads is putting yourself again at the top of the list. And that's okay. It's okay to do that. Also, some of the common threads are getting moving in your life. Instead of sitting back and watching other people go after their dreams, it's putting in movement in your life, even if it's like physical activity or going after writing down lists and getting things done. Another common theme that I noticed was breaking your comfort zone. So one of my favorite stories is um, one of my students, she had just gone through this horrible divorce and was just beaten down emotionally and spiritually. And one day on Facebook, she saw a picture of a friend doing a boudoir photo shoot. And she was so mad at that. How dare her friend do that? How dare her friend want to be sexy strong and, and put herself out there? And it made her stop and think, why am I feeling that way towards my friend? And it really caused her to stop and explore why there was such a strong trigger. And it was because she never saw herself that way. So she made herself a goal that one day she would have this sexy boudoir photo shoot. She called up a photographer, a mutual friend had given her um, this recommendation and she booked the date and she worked herself to that date, doing all this care, self-talk and making sure that she was feeling great for the photo shoot. And on the day of her photo shoot, she nailed it. She knocked it out of the park. And now she says whenever she looks at that photo of herself, it's triumphant. She feels like she was on the top of a mountain. It's so it's such an interesting thing that we project in that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That we look at other people and we say, oh, what's that or what's this? And, and we think it's something bad about them, but it's really something we're we're struggling to find ourselves. Absolutely. And then when you see it in somebody else, sometimes we get mad. 
We're like, how dare that person? How dare that person want to run that marathon? How dare they do that? And it's like, well, they're just living their lives. Why are you feeling this way? Well, and, and the thing too, like you make fun of them. Like, mm -hmm. oh, that crazy person is running 26 miles uh, instead of saying like, oh, that's super cool. And actually that, that makes sense that that's probably what people were doing with uh, Pulfit Nation. Oh, I've, you know, I've experienced my, I've experienced a lot of judgment, a lot of people making fun of me. I've, I've been seen it to my face, somebody making fun of me to my face. Um, I've been protested. I experienced a lady protesting me uh, for a few weeks. I've seen it and I know what it's like to be on the other end. And I understand why they do that. I understand why it happens because I was in that same position too. I remember not feeling very confident about myself, not feeling very good about myself and seeing, you know, this lady in the, in the lineup at the grocery store and being angry at her for being happy. So I understand it. Wow. When you think about the lessons and the ideas from, your time as a performer, your mm -hmm. time as a teacher, your time as a as a competitor, mm -hmm. how have those shaped you as a public speaker? Oh, I have seen that what I have seen is how it's not just being up on stage, but it's in being service of the audience. That the the front of house, the back of house, the audience being up on stage, it's all connected. And I've had many opportunities where it was a mutual experience, where I was experiencing the, the time on the stage and viewing the audience experiencing the performance as well. I love the stage, whether it's performing in burlesque, competing in a pole competition, speaking on stage, it's all the same. It's a shared experience with the audience. And what is the key for you? And in, Because in, you've blended it too. You've mm -hmm. done some speaking and then... Uh, performance. Yes. It can't be the other way around. You can't perform and then speak because then you're out of breath. <laughs> it has a whole different message to it. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> so, so, so tell us about that. When you did that performance, uh, you probably done many of them, but the one that I remember seeing you, uh, you were on stage, you were mm -hmm. performing, you were doing burlesque and you had the message beforehand. How did yes. you weave the two together? If, if someone's out there and they're thinking, oh, I have this creative thing I do, but I have to separate those worlds mm -hmm. in order to be taken seriously in this way. How did you blend those two? So that was one of my biggest challenges is how do I blend physical movement with sharing a story? And that, and that performance, it was in St. Louis, and that, that it was an old vaudeville theater that was built in the 1910s. It was so incredibly cool. And I was in front of an audience of, of seasoned performers and new performers. And I wanted to share with them about how, how we hold ourselves back. But also the, the piece that I was going to be performing to was a beast of a song that I had been intimidated for many years. <laughs> so the song was um, All the Things I've Done by The Killers. And it's, it's, it is a killing song. Like it is a beast. And I had, when I first started my pole career, very like back in 2007 with, I would put my babies in the stroller and I'd take them for a walk and I would listen to the song. And I would say to myself, one day I'm going to perform to this song. So year after year, I'd come across the song and go, am I ready yet? And I would always say to myself, nope, nope, not yet, not yet. And then one day I realized, if not now, when? 
And I was sharing the, telling the audience that if there's a song you want to dance to, just go freaking dance to it. Just grab that song, put it on, and do it. Because we hold ourselves back because we expect ourselves to be at a certain standard. So we hold ourselves back. So that was the the piece I was I spoke with the audience and then transitioned to actually performing to the song. And as I performed, I could hear the audience start to sing along. And if you know the song, all the things I've done by the killers, like there is this moment where it builds, it quiets down and it builds. And the audience was singing along and clapping along. And it's probably going to be for me, one of the best performances I've ever had because I felt the mutual understanding with the audience. Now to do that piece was a lot of preparation because it's two different parts of your brain. So when you're performing, it's one side of your brain. When you're speaking, when you're physically performing, it's one side. And when you're speaking, it's another side. So I had to do a lot of rehearsal of talking about doing my speech and then transitioning to the performance. So it was a lot of prep work to be able to nail it. And what do you think is that key to being able to really make those things connect for the audience to say, not just like, oh, those were nice words she said, and that was a nice performance she did, but to say, oh, that actually, that was really weaved together nicely. Mm -hmm. Well, the song itself was part, like it was a great piece for the speech, but the, the song had that personal connection that I had. So when it's sharing my story of how I just got started and how I would listen to the song over and over again, the audience, this audience could see themselves in me pushing their, you know, going out there, listening to every song and thinking one day. So there was this lovely connection that the audience was having to the story itself. And do you think that's important that, that when we're up there talking that we give the audience, even if we're telling our own story, we give them enough of it that they can put themselves in it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's a lot of it's knowing the audience you're going, you're going to be performing in front of. So I knew that audience very well. I knew, like speaking with the organizers, I knew what the audience was experiencing, what many of them were experiencing, and their hopes and their dreams and their fears. So I was able to craft the speech and the performance around that. And when you were going through the speech, when you were delivering it in that moment, because even with a ton of rehearsal, sometimes you get up there and it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. When it was for you and you thought, this is working, what was that mic drop moment for you? What happened? Oh, there's a moment. There's a moment where, because that, that theater, okay, so that theater, everybody, there's, there's two levels to it. So there was the people in the front and then there was a whole balcony and it was almost like a, a horseshoe shape. And there was a moment where I came out to the middle of the stage and I was speaking to the people in front. And then I turned and looked up to the balcony on my right and I can see everybody leaning in. And I remember in that moment thinking, holy cow, we are all one with this message. I better stay on task and I better make sure I deliver the ending because I didn't want to start meandering because I was like really getting caught up in that holy cow. So I had to make sure that I enjoyed the moment and then got refocused. And what was that? What was that like? 
it felt like an out-of-body experience. I will be honest with you. There's a moment where I was like, because I, I could see it all happening. I could see everybody leaning in. And I can see, like, I can see, you know, the, the newbie pole dancing student seeing somebody on stage who's been performing for 12 years and going, she was just like me. So I had to make sure that I was making that connection and then continuing with the message to get to the performance. Because there's also, they want to see me dance. So I had to make sure that I stayed on task, delivered what I need to deliver, and then got on the pole. Well, there's that there's that challenge, right? If you feel like, oh, I just nailed the speech, I want to leave. I know. And I'm like, no, you ain't leaving. Now you got to go get on the pole. So now the thing with pole dancers is we have a thing about our hands. So okay. we always want to make sure that our hands are dry and grippy. And when you're on stage, when you're speaking on stage and you're holding a microphone, your hands start to get wet and clammy. <laughs> so this is why I'm backstage in my head going, okay, I need to make sure that my hands are dry and grippy as I get to the pole. So it's also setting up. So we use a thing called dry hands and it's a special grip aid that instantly dries up your hands. So I had to make sure that that was preset on the stage so I can go over, hand the microphone over to the host and then re-grip my hands with dry hands and then go over to the pole. So it was all choreographed to make sure that those moments were put in so that I can be successful in the pole performance. Oh, I love that. So the whole thing was really orchestrated to be able to deliver what you wanted. Absolutely. So can you imagine if I had nailed the speech and then went over to the pole and like slipped and slide and like fell and just totally sloppied it up. Like it, it would be such a disconnect. So I practiced and rehearsed and rehearsed. And I also rehearsed in front of people just so I can make sure that everything was well synchronized. Because I had to nail, I had to nail that pole performance. And, and you've got to do it with dry, grippy hands. <laughs> dry, grippy hands. Dry, <laughs> grippy, calloused hands. That's why I have nice nails. It's, it's like the sexiest thing of all. You know, people think, I think people probably think of like uh, pole fitness and pole dancing and think like, oh, pure sex. And then here you are with like the hands of a, of a gardener. I can open a jar in one, like my, we have like the pickle jar. I can just, whoo, there we go. I don't have to tap with a knife whatsoever. <laughs> Sexy. That's your hot. hands are, your hands are like, uh, like cheese graters. <laughs> it's so hot. It's super sexy. I always tell my husband it's an whenever if we go away for a weekend and like I scrub the calluses off my hands I'm like this shows you how much I love you. <laughs> I've got callus free for you. Exactly. I use moisturize for you. <laughs> it's really funny there's people that do uh CrossFit, you know the CrossFit mm -hmm. workouts and they always have these super callous hands because they're picking up those big weights. Yes. Who would think that CrossFit and pole fitness have the same thing in common which is the calloused hands. No, you want to have calloused hands and really strong hands. I think that's a metaphor. I think that's the second book. <laughs> Get a that. grip. Get a, yes. <laughs> Get a grip. <laughs> My life with dry cracked calloused hands. The the power of uh, dry grippy calloused hands. <laughs> I love it. Get a grip. <laughs> I'm going to be waiting for that one too. So you were speaking earlier about during this process of kind of uh, one, feeling yourself confident, so mm -hmm. strong and sexy, but also in helping other people do that and, and through running your business, Pulfit Nation, that there were naysayers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
there are always going to be naysayers with any, whenever you're starting a business, there's always going to be somebody who thinks A, they make fun of you or B, they can do a better job than you. That's just the way it is. So my, my husband was an entrepreneur, so he prepared me for that because <laughs> So he, and he, he said, just, just get ready. You're opening up a pole dancing studio. Just put it, get on a thick skin and brush it off. You needed those calloused hands long before I you touched the pole. <laughs> so, had, and I, I remember you and I've known each other for a couple of years mm -hmm. and you were telling me one time about someone who was literally protesting. Yeah, she did. Yeah. She literally protested me. It started with signs and everything like standing outside oh, yeah. the door. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, it was just a situation where, so with her background, she had come from uh, her in, in the seventies and the eighties was a stripper back then and had a really negative experience and came with post-traumatic stress disorder from it and lots of mental illness. And one day, you know, fast forward many years later, she's driving up the street and sees a pole dancing studio and it triggered, our studio triggered her. And she felt that her job was to shut us down because she needed to save the women from, from me because I was the gateway to the exotic dance industry. And you need to understand this, I have nothing against exotic dancing. I love the, um, the exotic dance industry. She had a negative experience. So she needed to, felt it was her, her role to stop what we were doing. And how did you find, I mean, that sounds so woke of you. Mm -hmm. Did you ever just like sit down and wanna cry? Oh yeah, oh, there's, you know, cry, angry, react. I wanted to react. So it started online and um, our friend, Scott Stratton, um, I had connected when it started online, I connected with him right away. And I was like, something's happening online. And she had found this, this Facebook group that was most of our, the residents of our city would hang out in. And that's where it began. So there's like 8,000 people in this Facebook group. And that's how she, she all started her protest. And for three days, it was this onslaught of, of Facebook messages and she would feed off of it. And I, I contacted with our friend, Scott Stratton, and asked him, I said, how do I handle this? Because this could really be a bad thing. Like This is overwhelming. And he had said, just talk about your truth and then step back and let, and let your students, let people who know you speak for you. So I handled that one fairly well and I thought everything was over and and then she showed up at the studio a week later and I found out in Canada that anybody can protest you. You can somebody can stand in front of your house with a sign. There's not much you can do because we have the charter of rights and thank heavens for that. So I connected with a politician and since politicians get protested quite a bit, I asked him, how do I handle a physical protest? And he helped me through that. And we survived it at the end. Wow. I love mm -hmm. your approach of reaching out to the people in your circle for support. Well, that's that I always want to make sure that I knew what was happening. And I knew that at the end, it'll come to an end. Sooner or later, it will come to an end. And I didn't want, I knew what, why she was doing it. And I knew there was an, a, a, a thing with mental illness happening here. And my mother had severe mental illness. So I wanted to treat her with dignity and respect because I knew what I went through with a, as a daughter of a, a parent with mental illness. So I wanted to make sure that it was, it was being handled correctly. Cause that could go, that could be handled in a way, um, that would make her be the victim 
And I didn't want to be seen as a victim either. I was just, here's a situation. Let's just ride this out so that we can all be, be, be fine at the end. Well, I think it's such a good example of, of you living your core values and, and teaching of confident, strong, and sexy, and that, that that isn't just about sashaying away, but about being a certain kind of person in the world. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's really admirable. So let's talk about the transition. So you were running the studio and mm-hmm. you decided there's this other chapter for you, mm-hmm. this next chapter for you. When did that happen? And, and how did that, how did that occur to you? It happened actually kind of slowly as a quiet little voice. And then that voice got louder and louder and louder. So for 12 years, putting my foot down hard on the pedal, working this business, I started to get tired. I'll be honest with you. And I started to see more people out in the world that I can, where I can help. And I started to feel as though the studio was holding me back from helping more people. And there was also wanting more challenge in my life because I was getting to a point where I could do the business with my eyes closed and wasn't feeling very challenged. And it started when I began writing the book and that I wanted to be out there more in the world. And then at the same time, I had an instructor who wanted to have to be seen more, to have more opportunities, to have more challenge. So it was like these two people, one person wanting to switch gears, but still continue in the world of helping people feel strong and sexy and confident. And then another person saying, hey, I want to take more of a leadership role. And it came down to time to sell. Time to allow somebody else to have the entrepreneurial journey and to steer the ship so that I can go out to the world. And how has that been? It's been a learning experience for me on letting go, letting go what I created and trusting the universe and trusting the person in charge that they will continue steering the ship and they will continue helping people and they will continue bringing it out into the world. So I've had to learn to let go. And I will be honest with you, there's moments where I'm doing great and there's moments where I'm not doing so well. So I am now six months, six months in, and it has been a, a big lesson for me, for sure. What do you think the big, uh, if other people could look at you and learn from your lesson, cause you're, you're a teacher at heart. How would you, how would you capitalize? How would you uh, distill that lesson for them? I would say that there are so many different ways to to run a business. There's so many different ways to run a pole dancing studio. There's so many different ways. And your way isn't all doesn't have to be the only way. So allowing somebody else to have the opportunity to to try their way has been my biggest, biggest lesson. And you have to allow somebody else to have that opportunity and not try and bulldoze them into doing it the way you used to do it. And why is that, why is that important to you? I think it's, it's just growth. It's uh, learning to put my ego aside. There's been a lot of ego happening on my end. I'll be totally honest with you. I will, I will own it. Um, Also, it's just allowing somebody else to have the moment to shine and knowing that just because they're shining doesn't mean that I don't shine, that we can shine together. So it's been definitely a growth experience for me. I think that's a one of the the things I would say about you if someone was asking me, I would say what you just said, which is that you see the ability for both 
both parties to shine. They mm -hmm. help other people shine and you realize that you don't have to lose your shine for that. I think that's something that's very apparent when people are around you, Jane. Oh, thank you. Thanks. So I think we're all always in the, you know, you said so many of your chapters today, you've got so many different uh, things that you've done and experienced and constantly moving through and growing. And I think that as, as people, as entrepreneurs, as public speakers, we are constantly writing the story. Yes. We're not at the end of it. So no. if, you to, if you were to say what happens next for Jane Wilson, what is the, you know, you're at a turning point now. We always are mm -hmm. at a turning point in the story as we're writing it. Where's the story go? What do you want? What do you want to create next with this character of Jane Wilson? <laughs> I would, I want to find more people to help, more people to support, more people to help them shine on the stage to stand in their truth and to feel good about themselves that I would just really enjoy that very, very much. And that's one of the reasons why the book was being written. The up to no good club was launched because I can see the more that we stand up and feel good in our lives, then we have better relationships. We have feel, feel better about ourselves. We make more money in our lives. We just have a better standard with what we want out of life. So that's what I see myself going in that direction. And it'll be really cool to see how it all transpires. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing to say. I'm writing this chapter and there's going to be good and there's going to be bad. And yeah. I'm, I'm at the helm. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I'll be totally honest with you. Like, I have no idea what's ahead of me. But I do know many, 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 many years ago, 2000 and, 2006, when I left my job, went on a leave of absence, I felt this same way, not knowing what was ahead of me. And then I started pole dancing. So I know right now, I don't know what's ahead of me, but I'm pretty certain it's gonna be damn cool. It'll be pretty freaking cool. Thank you, Jane Wilson. I'm always so inspired and fired up to take on the day every time I have a conversation with Jane. And so if you're inspired and fired up and you want to have a little bit of Jane in your life every day, then go over to Instagram and you can follow her at the Jane Wilson. She does great stories and has great photos and really awesome, inspiring things to say. So the Jane Wilson over on Instagram. You can also check out the up to no good club.com or her podcast, reclaim your spark. So thanks for listening to this episode of the mic drop moment. If you're anything like me, there's a whole list of things you are ready to go uh, confidently take on the world because of Jane's words today. Have a good one, everybody. This episode has ended, but your journey doesn't have to head on over to www.mikeganino.com all the resources and links that Mike and his guests shared today and keep on crafting your own story. That's www.mikeganino.com. Your audience is waiting. Isn't it time to find your hashtag mic drop moment? <laughs>